Welcome into hour two of the morning show. Talking Nick Saban. Yeah, we had another question on X. Um, could you see guys, could you guys rather see Bama going the NFL coordinator route potentially? That would be shocking to me. That would be shocking to me. The only NFL guy to me that would make sense is if D'Amico Ryans was like, hey, I want to go home and I can make a lot more money coaching at Alabama than with the Texans probably. And that that's the only thing that would make sense for me in terms of NFL guys. Coordinators, it, I guess it. that's where they got Jed Fish, right, from Arizona. I mean, he did well, so I mean, maybe, maybe. I would just be really underwhelmed if that's what Alabama had to do, right? Like, there's not like a superstar out there, is there? Lincoln Riley. He's not coordinator, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he isn't in the NFL yet either. Like, so, I mean, like, Lincoln yeah. Riley would have to leave USC, which maybe, maybe he would do that. But I don't think anybody would really be afraid of that either just because of the way they play defense. So, like, right. yeah, I'll say no to the coordinator route. D'Amico Ryans, maybe they call him, but outside of that, no. I, I feel there's um, enough of a swagger that's been established with Alabama that they're going to go. It doesn't mean they're going to get somebody that's uh, an old man, but they're going to get somebody who's as highly credentialed as possible. One one person, I don't, I don't recall if we talked about it in the last hour, that, that got thrown out too, and I could see that as a possibility of Sarkeesian, you know, just given that he spent time there and – it appears he got over the hump with Texas, or Texas got over the hump with him. Whatever you want to, however you want to frame it. But uh, I think that uh, I just think there's, with all due respect to NFL coordinators, I just don't know if there's a big enough name. They really want Alabama's going to want to make a splash for sure. Yeah, we can go through their hot board a little bit later in the right. show and kind of break down each candidate. But let's catch up to speed on some other things you might have missed from yesterday as you were. Celebrating Alabama's demise. Welcome to hell, Alabama. And also watching Tennessee play basketball. Sam, what else happened yesterday? Yeah, some more news in the NFL head coaching scene. Uh, Seattle Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll is out after his 14 seasons up there in Seattle. How uh, how overshadowed do you think he feels? Oh, my God. Like, yeah. Pete Carroll's had a good career, a great right? Career. Like he, his coaching career is now over, too, and he's like, ah, yeah, Pete Carroll, that's fine. But, like, Saban and Belichick, what about those guys? It, it's a tough one for him. I feel like he should have just waited another day, and he probably would have had a, you know, a, a whole day kind of dedicated to, him, to himself. I feel like... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you said it. Carroll, I feel like, is a, a really respected coach, you know, not only in the NFL, but but also his time uh, at USC as well. It's going to be an interesting move for Seattle. You know, it feels like they've been moving in a direction where they've got some really good young talent on that team. They, they've acquired some draft picks and have hit well in the draft. Uh, you know, obviously, Geno Smith has been a hell of a comeback story for them, and it just feels like that roster is, is a quarterback away from being a, a contender in the NFC. But now... Pete Carroll out of there, it'll be interesting to kind of see where they go from there. This one got me wondering yesterday because we spent so much time talking about Harbaugh, and, and it makes me wonder how willing was Carroll to step aside. You know, they say he's stepping aside, but they're also keeping him in the organization, and and it makes me wonder, is this some sort of preemptive move, you know, where they're like, hey, man, there's there's a guy out there that could be our next generation leader, and we need to start thinking about it. Because to your point, Sam, they've got – a ton of great talent mm -hmm. too. Um, I don't know. It's maybe a little conspiracy theorist, but I, I just wonder how much Carol, you know, how how willing was he to to do this, or was this his call, or you know? Well, we talked about it with Dick Saban, but 
Pete Carroll's also 72 years old. So Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a chipper 72, though. He it, is, yeah. It's just the hair. It's yeah. the hair that gets you. <laughs> and the chomping of the gum. Although, like, I like Pete Carroll, and he looks good for 72. And I haven't really had that moment where I was watching any Seahawks games and like, wow, that guy's really old, like I felt like with Nick Saban this year. But it was time, I thought. I mean, Carroll, they haven't. Last year was nice in the sense that, like, they kind of shown, like, hey, we can still win without Russell Wilson. But this year was, I thought, disappointing. So, you talk about the guy to lead the next generation. I don't know if there's a young guy to do that, but if I'm a Seattle fan, I wouldn't mind going back to the Legion of Boom days since Dan Quinn is most likely going to get a head coaching job this cycle. Bring him back to Seattle where they had some really good years and let him bring a good offensive coordinator and maybe do things that way. Yeah. I would be surprised if, if, if Dan Quinn isn't their main target. He seems like a hot name for that job, kind of jumping off the page. What else did we miss? Um, you know, also – as much as we want to talk about Nick Saban retiring, I, I think another big portion of this is kind of the recruiting aspect and being able to to spread that wealth out a little bit. Uh, five-star wide receiver Ryan Williams, the number nine overall recruit in the country, decommitted from Alabama yesterday after the Nick Saban news broke. He's the number three receiver in the country. Uh, you know, it's been a huge recruiting battle kind of between Alabama and Auburn here recently. Uh, you know, committed to committing to Alabama, and then obviously now that Saban is gone, he's going to decommit. It feels like that one's a, a shoe in kind of to Auburn, but I think that this recruiting landscape is really going to flip on its head I've, now that Saban's I've, gone. I thought it was funny in the announcement. It was like he had a quote that was like, "Nick Saban retiring had a lot to do with this." I was like, "Yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I, I agree that losing Nick Saban and not having a coach probably makes you reconsider your commitment." Which, by the way, Tennessee was already probably going to get this guy, but it does seem now like a slam dunk that George McIntyre yeah, should be coming absolutely. to Tennessee and making his decision and making his announcement any minute because he was already kind of leaning or thought to be a, a Tennessee, I don't want to say slam dunk, but the only thing giving him pause, he said, was how much he loved Nick Saban and said mm-hmm. that was his favorite coach and the respect there and blah, blah, blah. So now that he's gone, expect the uh, the Nashville-Tennessee Five-star quarterback to to come to Tennessee. I think he was doing it already, but seems like a slam dunk now. Yeah. What else did we miss? Last thing, uh, you know, a little bit more in the NFL coaching carousel. The Bears are keeping their head coach, Matt Aberflus, parting ways with the offensive coordinator, though, Luke Getze, uh, making a a bunch of changes kind of to that offensive staff, quarterbacks coach. Uh, wide receiver coach pretty much every every coach on that offense is is not returning next season but they are going to keep Eberflus to me this kind of feels like they're they're probably locked in with Justin Fields I feel like and just want to get him a new system Uh, I I disagree there I disagree there I don't think this means anything for Justin Fields you think I feel like they would fire Eberflus if they were not rolling with with Fields again I feel like they just bring in a whole new regime and take the quarterback at number one overall I'm not saying it's a, a you know a certainty that they move on from Fields, but I still think that that's kind of unrelated. I think Eberflus did enough with the rest of the team. The defense played so well after mm-hmm. the Montrez Sweat uh, trade. Absolutely, that I think that he deserves another year, but I, I still think they might just trade Justin Fields and take Caleb Williams. Although, like, I think you should really explore just trading the number one pick and trying to load up that roster. Because I, agree. I do think Fields is good enough to to win 10 or 11 games. Now, do you want to pay him super big money? You know, his next contract's coming up soon. Probably not. Probably not. But you also have to keep in mind that these 
first round quarterbacks, even the studs at the top, have like a fifty percent hit rate. Yeah, to me, it's not the fact that Fields is maybe not the guy. To me, it feels that like Caleb Williams isn't just going to fix it immediately. Well, and and whoever they hire as an offensive coordinator, you got to believe if they're coming in, they want to know like who's gonna right. who's gonna be the quarterback I'm working with. You know, they're they're gonna have to. They got to get a position on all of that. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah, that's a fair point in terms of the coordinator wanting to know. Although if I'm a coordinator, I'm like, I can either have Justin Fields and some new toys, or I can have Caleb Williams. I'll probably take that job either way, you know, unless they're you know, trying to go out and get somebody that's super proven. But I imagine it'll be somebody getting their first opportunity to really call plays. And hey, either you got Justin Fields, and then he'll have maybe DJ Moore and Marvin Harrison Jr., or you'll have Caleb Williams, who is supposed to be you know a generational prospect. Last thing on the way out, Twitter sends it in. Some semi-local news, but Sullivan County player Corbin Laser picks up an offer from Colorado. So a semi-local story of a guy getting a pretty big D1 offer from yeah. Coach Prime. So that's kind of cool. Appreciate uh, you for sending that in. All right, we'll get back to the big stories that everyone are talking about after the break. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. White Claw delivers a wave of pure refreshment and a variety of flavors. From the originals like black cherry and mango to new flavors like passion fruit and blackberry. Crafted using our unique brew pure process, White Claw delivers a crisp taste with only 100 calories, 5% alcohol, and only 2 grams of carbs. Check out your favorite retailer in store or online for White Claw variety packs, single flavor packs, and 16 ounce single serve cans. White Claw hard seltzer. Please drink responsibly. Rogers Utility Solutions, a division of Rogers Hydrant Service, is a family-run Tennessee-based business since 2015. Now serving municipalities and residences in 14 states, Rogers offers fire hydrant flow testing, distribution flushing, and maintenance programs in accordance with ISO standards. Rogers also offers hydrant repair and installation, and they have the capable restorative procedures such as fillings, crowns, and bridges. They do it all at Knoxville Smiles, Veneers, Invisalign Implants. Contact Knoxville Smiles today at 865-539-1776 to set up an appointment. That's 865-539 in the year that the United States became a country, 1776. You can take a virtual tour of their state-of-the-art facility. Uh, that's out over in West Knoxville at KnoxvilleSmiles.com. KnoxvilleSmiles.com. All right, we've talked about Saban. We'll get to his successor soon, but Bill Belichick deserves some time, too, as he is out in New England after 24 years. Early reports coming from Dan Graziano from ESPN says, expect to hear the Falcons and Washington Commanders discussed as the most likely landing spots for him in the coming days, and also says to expect Gerard Mayo, Brian Flores, and Mike Vrabel as most likely successors in New England. Bob, which part of that intrigues you more? Well, we talked about that commander's job earlier in the week, saying that might be one of the the best available in the in the open positions. Um, I don't know how I feel about Atlanta. Atlanta's got talent. Um, Arthur Smith didn't do that much with it, which is why he's out. But um, – I, there's something about uh, Saban in Atlanta doesn't feel right to me. Belichick, Belichick, Belichick. What was I saying? You said Saban. Saban. Yeah, just, I'm sorry. I got Saban's yeah. not coaching anymore. He's gone. You can. I got you can let go of that fear. I got legends on the brain. Um, mixed them up. Yeah, I'm sorry. So Belichick, 
in Atlanta just doesn't feel right to me. I think that uh, I could see him with the Commanders for sure. The the, the names for the Patriots replacement uh, that none of those surprise me. I mean, those all those are kind of usual suspects. I think. Yeah, they're going to hire a New England guy. Yeah, they're going to hire a New England guy, Brian Flores, a New England guy, Gerard Mayo, been there a long time, New England guy, and then of course Mike Vrabel won some Super Bowls there and is in the Ring of Honor in New England. I'm going to be mad if they hire Mike Vrabel, though. I am going to be mad. <laughs> Just because it's obvious it's going to happen. I'm going to be furious. But the fact they get him for free and we don't get a trade out of it is going to make me angry. I just want to go ahead and get out ahead of that. Washington as a landing spot for Belichick is interesting because I do think the owner is going to be good there. I do think that it is a complete 180 from the last regime, right, in terms of the the ownership of Dan Snyder and how much of a debacle the front office was and all that, like hiring Bill Belichick would give them instant credibility, right? It does make them seem like a serious organization. I don't know after kind of gutting the roster, at least on the defensive, side of the defensive line side of the ball, trading Sweat and Chase Young, I don't know how much is left in Washington to make the that roster appealing. I don't know what their cap situation is like. I do know they have the number two pick. They've got some good some cap space. I think they're top five. Okay. Really. Yeah. I assume they. I assume, I assume all the bad teams have cap space, but I do know they pick number two, which, funny enough, is one spot ahead of New England. So, Bill winning a couple games and then going to Washington and then taking the quarterback they want would be kind of funny. Yeah. Again, and I do think on the offensive side they got some skill players who could you know between McLaurin, uh, Jahan Dotson. Brian Robinson Jr., they've, they've got some players, but you're right. They'd have to rebuild the defense for sure. But with the number two pick, you know, I, I don't think Sam Howell is their quarterback no. of the future. I think they kind of have made that realization. So you could go out and get you a young quarterback. You could get you a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, depending on, you know, what Chicago does at number one. But you could have your quarterback of the future. But if you're Belichick, is that what you want? Do you want the quarterback of the future, or do you want to go somewhere that already has a quarterback? Because the Falcons would kind of be in a similar situation. They're going to have to find a quarterback there, too, although maybe that could be somewhere where you go and get a Justin Fields and trade and bring him to Atlanta. I think that would make sense if Chicago's going to do that. And you give Belichick that roster of Justin Fields, I think then you got something in that division for sure. I, I definitely, and I, I, it's not entirely informed, it's just my opinion. I see him being an East Coast guy. I know there's been chatter about him going to Vegas or the Chargers. I don't see him, I just don't see him doing that. I, I really see him, his his roots have always been Eastern. Um, I think I told you, I know he's he's building a house in uh, down in South Florida, rebuilding one that's close to us it doesn't mean that would motivate his decision entirely I just think he stays with someone on the eastern seaboard and I think that it's I don't think it's Carolina though I think he would run from that I don't I don't ever see him wanting to talk about that job with uh, David Tepper at the at the wheel rubbing shoulders with with Rick Barnes and gonna have a house near Bill Belichick in Florida look at this uh, guy oh yeah, yeah yeah he 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 would never you know we never see him yeah might maybe Bill Belichick if he goes down to South Florida maybe he'll change his whole demeanor but you're right I mean the Cleveland Browns the the New York Jets the New York Giants when he was you know cutting his teeth as a defensive coordinator I mean yeah it does seem like he is an East Coast guy but the Raiders are interesting just because it has been said that they're just going to go big game hunting they want to star you know, they're, they're linked to Jim Harbaugh, but, like, if you're looking at just at star power. In the NFL, Bill Belichick's a bigger star, so I could see that maybe being a, a thing that Vegas would really pursue. Now, if you're Belichick, 
you're going to kind of run into a similar situation in all these jobs, it seems like, in terms of not having a quarterback. Because Vegas ain't really got a quarterback either. Do you think that Atlanta might be the most attractive just because it's kind of the easiest to come in and go ahead and win? Because I feel like the other options in terms of, like, Washington, the Chargers, and the Raiders are, you know, you're positioned in some tough divisions there. Yeah, it's a great point in terms of Atlanta is set up for success. I mean, Tampa Bay won that division, but I don't think anyone thinks Tampa Bay is is great. Atlanta was right there on the doorstep. They could have done it had they had just maybe 10% better quarterback play and 10% better coaching. So, yeah, that, that division seems much more attainable than, say, going to the AFC West and having to compete with Patrick Mahomes because I do think the Chiefs are going to retool and find some receivers this offseason and they'll kind of be rejuvenated after they get knocked out of the playoffs. And, uh, I, and when you ask me about appealing, though, like I, I think I'm not the biggest fan of him, but I do still think Justin Herbert is the most talented quarterback of all the guys we're talking about. And I do think that Belichick probably knows that, like, after coaching Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, that he wants to get back to coaching a smart, good quarterback. And, and I do think that for that reason, if I'm him, I'm, I'm most intrigued by going to L.A. The problem with the Chargers is that their owner is you know, notoriously cheap when it comes to paying coaches. The reports out there after he got fired was that Brandon Staley was only making $3 million a year. Compare that to Belichick, who is you know, used to making 18 to $20 million in New England, reportedly. And right. You know, are they going to be willing to do that? I don't know. But maybe he looks and says, hey, we have too much talent with the Chargers to be as bad as we've been, so we need to be serious too. We need to be a serious organization. And, and Bill Belichick, like I said, with Washington, gives you that instant credibility. Out of all those teams right now, again, you're right, outside of L.A., they're all lacking a quarterback. And this is dovetailing off of Sam's point. Atlanta's the one team that's got – well, LA's got Austin Eckler, but he he looked like he regressed a little. But Atlanta, he's close to being washed, in my yeah, opinion. He's on his last legs. Yeah, Atlanta's got a potential bell cow running back. You know, a franchise player in Bijan Robinson, who a little bitter. I had him on my fantasy team, and he got totally misused often this season by Arthur Smith. But uh, I think that uh, you know, if if I'm Belichick and I'm looking at all sorts of aspects of it. They do need a quarterback there, but he does have some skill players that are probably the the best out of the whole bunch in Atlanta. I, I just again, it's a weird fit for me. I don't know why, but Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe you know as well, Bob. But doesn't Bill Belichick have a home in Nashville too? Yes, yeah, he does. Or at least he's building one. I he think. was born in Nashville as well. Yeah, we didn't talk I think about he lives the Titans. He, he was born in Nashville. I mean. I think he's lived there in the off season for a couple years now. Yeah, I know he's been spotted in Nashville yeah. a couple times. Like yeah. he hangs out there. Like I don't know. I mean, when you're just talking about the openings, I I know Jordan came on yesterday and said the Titans are six out of seventh in terms of a appeal, <laughs> but like you know, a lot of cap space and and you know, Will Levis is at least he's shown flashes. I don't want to act like Will Levis has proven he is a franchise quarterback because I, I think that would be unfair, but. He's shown that he could do some things. I would say the Titans' defense is probably in maybe the best spot out of out of the teams that are needing a head coach right Fa- now, too. Falcons' defense is pretty good. Falcons' defense is pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, like, the Falcons don't have Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah. And Harold Landry, you know, who looks like he had returned to form. Those are two pretty big building blocks for your defense. So, if you're Belichick, do you at least take the phone call if, if the Titans want to meet you? Or is that just like, hey, no, that team's, that team's too far away from being good? Because, you know, we talked about the – NFC South being easy. The AFC South ain't necessarily murderer's row by any means. Yeah. 
man, maybe win that division. I don't know if that lines up with the Titans' vision in terms of timelines and you know wanting to wanting to you know maybe rebuild and reset a little bit because I, I do think wherever Belichick goes, he's going to want to win, right? Like I think Bill Belichick. I would bet a lot of money right now that in 2024, Bill Belichick will be in the playoffs wherever he goes. What What's the uh, you you two would know better than I? What are the Titans' um, spending habits as far as how much money they'd have to spend on him? I don't know. I, I don't see that. That's the thing about the NFL stuff is like you don't know what the coaching salaries are. I mean, I don't know if Mike Vrabel was one of the higher paid coaches. I don't know. I think I heard Vrabel was in like the seven to eight million range. Okay. Yeah. But you know. When I'm talking, the theme of this segment, from my perspective, is credibility, instant credibility. You've painted yourself into a corner if you're Amy Adams shrunk. You have made yourself almost a – you've embarrassed the, the, the fan base. You've embarrassed your franchise. And now there's pressure on who you hire here. <laughs> you know, instant credibility. If you go out and hire Bill Belichick, it's like, hey, I, I got the, the coach – that has dominated the NFL over the last 20 years. Look at the Super Bowls, nine appearances, six championships. I want to bring one of these to Tennessee. You know, that would win a that would win a press conference, you know. <laughs> it's true. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I but Again, from Nashville, was born there. Just saying. Hadn't even crossed my mind, but I didn't realize that little tidbit that he's uh, from Nashville. Um I think it's one of those situations where it was just born there, wasn't really raised there. Yeah. But, like, you know, it fits we'll whenever, it. <laughs> whenever I need the narrative, whenever I need that tidbit to make my narrative work, I could do it. It's like Michael Jordan. They say he's from New York. Yeah, but he's, like, grew up in North Carolina. Which one was it? Is he North, New York or North Carolina? I don't know. Depends. But for this segment, Bill Belichick from Nashville, from Tennessee. Does he fit that collaborative vision that Amy is apparently selling to us right now, though? Not a very good job, but like to fit. I mean, you're firing the guy that is probably second in line as the most stubborn coach in the league. I feel like, and Belichick well, he, is probably one. He fits. Uh, yeah, he fits in the <laughs> uh, the whole stubbornness. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of uh, you know they had the report come out on Monday. I guess it was that Belichick was willing to you know relieve himself of the GM duties. So. Yeah. Maybe in Nashville that wouldn't be an issue, or maybe wherever he goes next, it's not going to be an issue. Like he'll be like, "Hey, I want to weigh in on a couple things of the type of players we're looking for. Maybe you bring me a couple, and I, you know, we talk about it." But Belichick's what seventy-one. He hasn't made the playoffs in a couple years. When he did make the playoffs, they they were on maybe the most lopsided side of a playoff loss to the Bills a couple years ago, and when they did make it, I don't know if he's in position now to be really making huge demands. He's still the goat. Or at least of this generation, I should say. But I don't know uh, how much leverage he has. I don't know. Any final thoughts on Belichick before we move on? No. Um, I agree. But I think we all believe he's he's clearly not done. It's just going to be where where does he land. And um, I don't know. I, I still think there's... It's funny we didn't even talk about Seattle for him, but I just don't see it. You know, it's another one. I just I don't see it. So, yeah, that's to me that Seattle. I keep forgetting that they're open, but also like this don't seem appealing to me. But I think it may be as I'm just thinking of rain and like the dreariness <laughs> of those four o'clock games. Like I can't imagine wanting to go there. 
They do have a good roster, though. The defense has some some blue chippers on it. I, I guess I just have already penciled Dan Quinn in there. You, you want to talk about such a polar opposite in terms of energy with Pete Carroll going out and if Belichick came in. That's just such a weird vibe, you know, because he Carroll was always just so so much energy. So that'll be interesting to see. Would you be happy with Bill Belichick in Nashville? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I kind of just feel like you're building towards that new younger vision and I just don't know if Bill Belichick is like he's he's a good temporary replacement but he doesn't feel like a guy that you're trying to build for the future for with yeah it feels like you'd probably be looking again in about three years right, or something right. right I mean that's but also what am I saying denying you know a guy that's won this many Super Bowls like if the new state, like a winner <laughs> if the new stadium was a little bit closer to being open maybe, maybe I could see that maybe but yeah. I think there's still a couple years away from that and and like Bob said you you might be back to the the drawing board in three years anyways. Maybe he just gets there and A, doesn't have it anymore, or B, he's just like, yeah, I'm ready to retire. I want continu- continuity with a new ro- like a young roster. I think Belichick just wants one more good year and to pass and, and become the all-time winningest coach in mm-hmm. NFL history. That, that's probably what's driving him at this point. Eh, you know, most born there, though. <laughs> Send us a break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. What's next for New England? What's next for Bill Belichick? But... They're not in the SEC. They don't affect us directly. We need to properly put in perspective, you know, Nick Saban's impact on college football, on on changing the game. I mean, Bob, you said you had some stats about just the impact he had on Tuscaloosa and Alabama as a university. I mean, you always talk about people who are, like, basically their own – Economy, you know, like that, that was always talked about with LeBron James up in Cleveland, how much he brought to the local economy. Like he's his own business, like everything that revolved around him. Nick Saban kind of had that same effect at Tuscaloosa with that school. Absolutely. Um, I follow a guy named Joe Pompliano who covers kind of the business side of sports. And he brought up a really interesting point because it's way beyond just the impact that Saban had, obviously, on the football field with Alabama. That's legendary at this point. But um, financially, it's even more profound. Um, there's this term I've never heard of, but it's called the Flutie effect. And that's when athletic accomplishments increase exposure and, inv- and eventually enrollment at an institution. And you think about that, it's kind of interesting. And no one did it bigger than Saban. Since Nick Saban arrived in 2007, Alabama's enrollment has increased from 25,000 students annually to 40,000. It's a 60% jump compared to the 10% national average. But also what's interesting is the type of student that comes in. Alabama went from the majority of its student body consisting of in-state students to the majority now being from out-of-state. Like New Jersey, right? Yeah. Like, wasn't that the reports yeah. that basically New Jersey had taken over? Yeah. Yeah, cha-ching. You know, they, students from out-of-state pay three times more than in-state. So 32000 to 11000 um, and it means Alabama increased its annual revenue by hundreds of millions under Saban. So they paid him over $130 million in his 16-year career there. But, you know, he was, he was worth probably billions maybe to that, to that, you know, to that institution. It's crazy. And that's what their chancellor even said. That's what Pompliano wrote. Nick Saban's the best investment this university has ever made. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. When you compare it just, I mean, you said you made $136 million. Like, I always love the stats that come out about, you know, how much money Auburn had to pay for their coaches, plus the buyouts of the coaches. Like, they had paid just as much. 
you know, for their coaches to not be Nick Saban than just Alabama was paying to be Nick Saban and win games. But Tennessee had a similar effect, right? I mean, Absolutely. like the exposure of those games, you know, Saban, of course, did it for, for a decade plus. But, like, you saw the story about Florida Gulf Coast, right, when Dunk City was, was a thing and they made their run and beat Georgetown. Like, their exposure and, and applications just went through the roof because people were like, wait, there's this school on the beach? That's kind of cool. Tennessee had the same thing, a similar thing after beating Alabama last year, right, and rushing the field and how good they were that they had a spike in admissions and, like, you know, the, the freshman class is so big and the requirements to get in have gone through the roof too. So, I mean, that, that raises your prestige as a university. I think now, like, you got to basically have, like, a 29 or 30 to, to for sure feel comfortable about getting into Tennessee, which was not the case in 2008, 2009, whenever people were applying that I knew, where you could get in and feel pretty good about at a 23 or 24. I think Clemson's another great case of that same thing with kind of the point that Saban has brought in. Like, I think when Clemson kind of went on that run for a couple of years of winning mm-hmm. those championships with Dabo, I think you saw a ton of people kind of an influx into that university. It is underrated how much more money, like, a, a coach can bring in just on winning football games. Well, it's money and it's also prestige, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it just raises your university. It raises your you know alumni bases. It raises their prestige as well. Their degree all of a sudden seems like it's worth more whenever yeah. the school and the institution rises to that level. It doesn't matter that maybe that school wasn't that great when you were there, but if it becomes great 10, 15 years later, then you could be proud of it. So, yeah, Saban, of course, huge, huge impact on Alabama. I think it also highlights just how important football is in yeah. the SEC, right? And like, and you look at the out-of-state guys. I think from people I still know at UT and that work in the office and students, like, I think we're taking a bunch of people from like Illinois, right? Like, we got a bunch of Chicago people coming. I Chicago think is very popular. Yeah. Yeah. So like, New Jersey's flocked to Bama, and I think we're kind of getting some Illinois people coming to Tennessee. But I think it just highlights people across the country wanting to be a part of SEC football. Like, I really do truth. I do I do think it just highlights the importance of that and how cool it is and the atmosphere there. And just, I think we maybe take it for granted being in it, but, like, when you see the exposure lead to all these other things growing and, and people coming from all over the country to be a part of it, I, I think it kind of drives that point home. Agree. Agree. Now the question is, who can carry that torch for Alabama at this point? It ain't going to be easy. It's almost impossible. Yeah. It's almost impossible. Who do y'all think the leader is for that job? I think it's pretty clear it's Dan Lanning. Yeah, I was going to say Lanning is the first choice, but after that, then it gets murky. 865-546-8200 if you want to weigh in on Nick Saban, if you want to bid him farewell or talk about his successor. To me, it becomes interesting whenever you say, like, what happens after Dan Lanning tells them no, if he tells them no. If you're Oregon, if you're Phil Knight, this would really hurt, man. <laughs> like, this would really hurt. You, you've lost your two other coaches, and you could say, like, hey, those were maybe blessings in disguise. Like, you lose Willie Taggart to Florida State. You're like, okay. Yeah, he left after, I believe, one year. But, okay, like, Willie Taggart. He's good, or he was good, or somewhat promising, but he wasn't somebody that had given you a taste of real success yet. You were just hoping. Then Mario Cristobal comes there, and he's like, hey, he's going to bring the SEC with him, and he's going to recruit. And, yeah, I mean, they had some pretty good years there, but no, like, real big success. But then you find Dan Lanning, who 
you bring from the SEC and gets off to a really bad start against Georgia in his first game. But after that, Oregon won a whole bunch of games, and Bo Nix was actually playing pretty good quarterback. And then this year, of course, they, I thought, were the second-best team in the country. I was wrong. I was wrong. But they that's, that's the type of image they carried. That's the type of prestige I thought that they had kind of brought. And I thought, hey, Dan Lenning is kind of trying to do the SEC thing there, and it's actually working. He leaves, and you're back to scratch. You know, back to square one, starting from scratch, going to the Big Ten. That would be so tough for Phil Knight, man. My 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 most favorite Dan Lanning memory so far, um, provided he stays at Oregon. Maybe he it, there'll be more memories. But um, was I became an eternal fan the way he they took down Colorado because I was so fed up with the oversaturated media coverage of Colorado and Coach Prime and everything else and. He, and we all kind of knew behind the scenes, like, this team is not that good. And he he's the one. His team kind of brought it to light. I mean, that was – I'll always be thankful for Dan Lanning for that. Well, then the clips come out, you know, of his pregame and postgame right. speeches. And he, he just seems like a badass. You yeah. Know? All right. Yeah. Like, substance. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, he's just saying, let them do the talking. Yeah. We'll do the talking with the pads. And, like, yeah. that's what they did. Yeah. Now, maybe he knew, like, watching film, like – this is going to be easy. Like, this team is not ready, <laughs> yeah. despite what everybody in the media was trying to say. Like, Colorado's still a long ways away from being able to play with us. So, like, maybe he was in an easy position of, hey, this is going to be a marquee win, but it's a marquee win against kind of like Ole Miss basketball on Saturday. Like, in the top 25, undefeated, this, this, and this, but not a legitimate team. Yeah. Not a legitimate team. And, you know, if you're Phil Knight, you're supposed to have all this money. you got all this power. And you don't even have the Pac-12 excuse anymore. Because I can understand Willie Taggart and, and Mario saying, hey, the Pac-12 isn't isn't a power conference. Pac-12 is dead. You're going to the Big Ten, which is, you know, in everyone's mind, an equal to the SEC. I know that might be blasphemy in the South, but just nationally, the Big Ten is seen as an equal. TV money-wise and, and prestige and all that. Like, it's an equal. They just won the national championship, so that they've kind of at least somewhat earned it on the field. You don't have that conference excuse anymore. You got all the TV money. You got Nike money. You got all this. If you're Oregon, you, this would be a death blow, man. This would feel bad for Phil Knight to lose Tiger Woods and then turn around and now lose lose your head coach that's got you feeling like you're going to win the Big Ten next year. I mean, they're going to be the preseason favorites. Yeah, I I'm, I'm I I totally agree. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. There's other candidates though. We talked about. I'm not even going to put Kirby Smart in there because again, I'm of the belief that Kirby stays put but there's other ones i don't even think kirby answers the phone i, I yeah I, I think he just lets it go to voicemail and send the text like hey thanks for the call i'm busy yeah. recruiting i'm good and i'm with you i mean everybody's quick to say oh here comes here comes lane kiffin of course lane kiffin would love that i don't see that happening either lane um, kiffin's probably already called them yeah he, he's the opposite <laughs> kirby smart's on answering the phone lane kiffin has called them five times like hey just want you to know exactly i enjoyed my time in tuscaloosa <laughs> he's texting all the donors the rich boosters i mean those stories always came out here in knoxville right like lane kiffin would crawl on broken glass to come back yeah. to knoxville so i can only imagine what he's doing with all his friends in tuscaloosa like hey just checking in want you to know i love you guys how many of these transfers can i bring over to <laughs> yeah. alabama hey, with I, me? <laughs> I, they, they haven't signed the papers i'll bring them with me it's fun <laughs> Can we waive that no SEC team clause? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll rip them up. I'll rip them up. It, it, it would be great just to see, again, more burning down the house type stuff that doesn't hopefully impact the Tennessee. But let's talk about some of the others, though, that are more logical to get thrown out there. Well, I, I do think Kiffin's logical, though. I, I do think he's somewhere on their list. Like, they did fire him. 
you know, as a coordinator, but I do think he has proven that he has matured, right? That's what they always say about the old right. Miss tenure. Like he's matured. He, he's he's had back to you know he's had some good seasons at Ole Miss. He's had them farting in the top ten, and you know they're going to be preseason top ten. So I do think he is a, a legitimate candidate at Alabama. Well, and I think it's it, draw the corollary to back when he got the USC job. I would agree with that, but he's not top of the list. Sure. is what I would say sure. at USC, he was like their third or fourth choice, right. and I could see that. Um, but let's talk about Steve Sarkeesian. We talked briefly about him, uh, spent time uh, as a Saban pupil, as they call him, um, and, you know, has had head coaching experience at a couple of places and is, you know, again, if you're li- living in the moment, he just got Texas to the college football playoff. And um, Sark is somebody I've rooted for because he's, you know, he's fought a lot of demons and other things in the past, and he's he's persevered and seems to be doing a – a great job. The question is, again, Texas is another institution with a ton of money, and you would think they would want to keep him. That's the issue they're going to run into is that their top candidates are all entrenched at good jobs. Like, yeah, Oregon should have the money, both NIL facility-wise and, and just to pay Dan Lanning. Texas has the money NIL-wise, recruiting base-wise, to, to keep Steve Sarkeesian happy. He has ties there, but – only two years, really. Uh, he was an OC for two years, and I guess was an analyst for one year, and he's the one that kind of took over for Lane Kiffin when he got fired. So I don't know like if he is an Alabama guy per se, but he's probably at least on their list high. But if I'm him, I'm answering the phone. I'm not burning the bridge because I might always want to keep that open in case the next guy fails and then Alabama comes open in you know three or four more years. But like I am, I'm probably not leaving Texas, who's going to be a preseason top five team. I'm probably not leaving for Alabama. I think he. I think he's respectfully telling them no. He's not leaving them on red like Kirby Smart. But uh, Sarkeesian to me, it doesn't make sense. Unless you're just tired of the boosters at Texas, because Texas is weird. Yeah. But yeah. if you can't handle the pressure of Texas, like the pressure of Alabama, you know that you talk about the demons. Not to make it light, but like you don't want to be dealing with that in Alabama and just people mad at you and yelling at you all the time and getting overworked and overstressed because that's going to be a lot of pressure going to Alabama and trying to keep that together. Yeah. Who else you got on the list? Well, this one to me, if it were three years ago, I would say this one's a very legitimate option. I don't see it as much now, but that's uh, our boy Dabo. Dabo, who had a clause like in his contract with his buyout, like hey. If Alabama comes open, I'm going to pay you a lot less money to leave. Like this is, we're agreeing on this. That that's home. I got a home clause. But then you tell me that Alabama fans were at a rally last night. I don't know how many people were there, but they're tweet, they're chanting anyone but Dabo. Now again, that the students. I don't know how many were out there, but like that's the vibe around that. So if you're Dabo, maybe you don't pay attention to that. Maybe you do, but like that's just kind of to highlight how far his star has kind of fallen. Well, and in this day and age when um, NIL, you, you you just have to accept it and embrace it and work with it. And Dabo's been so outspoken about how flawed he thinks it is and, you know, he'd rather, you know, prey on it, <laughs> all this other stuff. I mean, I, I just think that that's, that's not the right fit for a college program like Alabama at this point. You're going to want someone who's – who's going to have a much more open mind about all that stuff. And, and I'm, I'm guessing Dabo's getting there on his own, but it's like he's been he's been pretty outspoken over time with that. I think he'd be on their list. He's won national championships. He's beaten Alabama for national championships. Like, no matter how far a star has fallen, and I do think he went from, like, 
And there was a time you thought maybe he had passed Saban, right, or at least was neck and neck with Saban and, like, was 1A or 1B in terms of coaches. I think now if you did a ranking of coaches in college, Dabo probably is more in the 6 or 7 range. But that still would be a, a really good safety net for Alabama to be able to call and say, hey, yeah, we hired this guy who's won a couple of national championships. This the, uh, guy who used to play here is coming home. On the flip side, Dabo can't take criticism, man. Yeah. One bad season in the ACC at, at, at Clemson has has him melting down, <laughs> going on radio shows, going on 10-minute rants and yelling at Tyler. I, I just don't see – I just don't see him being willing to jump into that pressure cooker. Because I can already hear Dabo saying, like, you know, talking about how Nick Save is not here anymore. The old days aren't the old days anymore. And just kind of melting down about, you know, we're building this and we're having to adapt and do this, this, and this. And, you know, college football is different. And you got to let Saban go. And just having a complete meltdown after a 9-3 and three season. I can, hear it in my vo- I can hear it in my head already. So if you're him – I know he's played the card of, like, Clemson not respecting him anymore. You know, he had the quote of, like, hey, if y'all don't want me to be here, I'll go find another job where they res- you know, where they appreciate me. I just don't know if he'd sign up to, to do that with Alabama, right? I don't see it, personally. I, I don't. Um, the other one that is getting thrown out there, you might have seen it. He's a little more of a dark horse, but um, apparently Greg Byrne is uh, a bit smitten by him as Kalen DeBoer. I've seen that name, and he did just change agents. He did just hire Jimmy Sexton, yeah, who, of course, represented Nick Saban and represents every coach and is willing to uh, move jobs at any time to go and, you know, better his life. And, you know, Michael Penix and those wide receivers are gone. So if you're him, if they call, I think it's a no-brainer. Like, it's just whether – to me, that one is whether or not Alabama wants him. Yeah. The other ones, like, you know, Dabo – do you leave a place where you're still kind of thought of as Nick as Nick Saban? You're the Nick Saban of Clemson. If you're if you're Sarkeesian, you know, do you leave Texas? If you're if you're Landing, do you leave Oregon? All of those to me are from the other perspective of they probably tell Alabama no. This one is like it's just whether or not Alabama tells Kalen DeBoer, you know, yes, like hey, we actually want you. Yeah, because to me, it's a, I'll be on the first flight. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll drive if 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 I need to. I'll bring the U-Haul. I'll just come. Sam, you've heard us uh, marinating over these three. Any of these pop out to you? Yeah, I don't know. You know, DeBoer is interesting. He feels like a guy that is almost kind of comfortable not being in the spotlight and kind of just taking a little bit of that backseat. So taking a job like Alabama and being that Nick Saban successor doesn't really feel like it fits the DeBoer personality to me. But I'm going to be honest. I don't know anything about Kalen DeBoer. Like, yeah. About his, I don't think I've ever heard him speak. Right. He just seems like a very low-key guy that tries to stay out of the way. And I don't know if going to Alabama after Nick Saban is the best way to stay out of the way. Do you we mentioned think? it earlier with D'Amico Ryans. That's a wild card to me that almost makes sense where you could triple your salary. He's gone in there in year one, I know, and, and had success in taking the Texans to the playoffs. But – I think that proves to me that you've taken a two-win team to the playoffs. That's a guy that can go in and change culture, too. So that may be a, that may be one that, that kind of stands out to me as a wild card, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it would be – the toughest thing, of course, there would be recruiting. Yeah, 100%. And also, like, walking away from C.J. Stroud. Right, right. Where you think you have a franchise quarterback. We've already called him top ten, like – and you might have a stranglehold in that division for the years to come. Like, it would be tough to do that, especially D'Amico Ryans has been – in the NFL for so long, you know, as a player and coordinator. 
I'm looking his stats up right now, or I guess his Wikipedia, because I don't think he has any college coaching ties. Like, I don't think he's ever had no. even like a GA job there or anything. I think he, you know, he started as a yeah quality control guy with the 49ers, and then the linebackers coach, and then defensive coordinator. So like to not have any college coaching experience and take that to me seems far fetched, but it's at least somebody you maybe you think about. To me, it just feels like you need someone who has that, that like supreme confidence in themselves, and I feel like. D'Amico Ryan's kind of fills that page to sure. me, and like I, I think that that's and, and he checks where the box like of being an Alabama guy. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where like the landing and the in the Lane Kiffin kind of comes to mind. You know, I just think you need someone who's so confident in themselves that they don't exactly worry about being the successor to to Nick Saban. One name not on your list, Bob, that I think is maybe someone that would be considered. Would they call? Nick Saban's running mates in the Geico commercials. Would they call Deion Sanders? Mm. Would they be willing to say, hey, this guy can uh, coach good enough and recruit really well, and given these resources, he could be the guy? How far down the list do they have to get to even consider Deion Sanders? Hey, I, I said this earlier in the season. I still believe this in terms of if you're looking for a new age approach where it's, again, more of a CEO. Now, Saban was a CEO, but he also – David's a mastermind. Yeah, absolutely. Dion, I'm, I'm not so sure, but he's got that CEO quality. He's a marketer. He's a recruiter. He's got all those pieces. I I don't know, man. That, that to me, I that, that seems like quite a jump. Um, it does, but that's why I asked. Like, I don't think he's at the top of their list, but like, yeah. you know, like you said with Lane Kiffin at USC, like how far down the list would Alabama have to get before they're like, hey, Coach Prime, all these resources that you don't have at Colorado, we got them. By the way, the NCAA is allowing two-time transfers now. Like, the transfer thing is gone. So bring Shador, bring Travis Hunter, bring your Louie, and come on to Alabama. And just wonder, like, how far down the list because he's a name. He's a big name. Maybe he has to prove it another year before he gets a big-time offer. But I would think he's further down. Uh, he's he's at least a notch below Kiffin on that far sure. down the list guy. Sure. But so if you're Alabama, you'd rather have Kiffin than Dion. Oh yeah, okay. I would. I, th- I think that's I think that's true. Yeah. Twitter writes in: People are just assuming Dan Lanning will be a great coach, but remember Mario Cristobal was only good when he was at Oregon. Well, yeah, but also like Mario Cristobal even at Oregon, showed a couple of times that he was kind of a moron. I go back to that Stanford game they blew by not, you know, kneeling the ball out and fumbling. And, like, what he's proven at Miami is that he wasn't a very – he's not a very good tactitional coach. Like, I don't know if Cristobal and Dan Lanning are the same thing. Just because, like, one guy left and wasn't good doesn't necessarily mean that Lanning won't be good. And I understand what you're saying, the flip side of, like, hey, you can't shoo him in and say he's going to be great. I understand that. But I think Lanning's got a different makeup. Another tweeter writes in, if Lanning is hired in Tuscaloosa, would Lane be interested in Oregon? So maybe maybe Lane then goes to Oregon and takes some Phil Knight money, and maybe we just have a whole big domino start falling. Who knows? Who knows? But, yeah, like, that's the thing about hiring a, you know, entrenched coach at one of these programs. If Alabama's able to pull it off, you might start seeing some other dominoes fall. Washington, a playoff team, might be looking for a coach. Oregon, a borderline playoff team, might be looking for a coach. Texas, playoff team, might be looking for a coach. Stakes are high. Ole Miss, preseason top 10 team, might be looking for a coach. That's what makes it so intriguing. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three after the break. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.